Welcome to episode 58 of the Two Indie Authors Podcast with me, Robert Enright. And me, David B. Lyons. On today's show, we're going to take it back to the classroom. So the two indie authors will be discussing narrative styles as our main talking point. We also have a very interesting question sent in by one of your lovely listeners about branding for our mailbag section. And then towards the tail end of the show, we're heading back across the Atlantic Ocean. It's still the Atlantic Ocean, Rob. And um, yeah, I know that. You now. know that, and how you found that. We will be posing friend of the show, Michael Evans, with our by now infamous seven questions. But we shall begin the show as we always do, Robert, by discussing our week that was. So, how have this last seven days been for you, my friend? Uh, they've been pretty good. I went to a wedding. Oh, nice! Winter wedding, which is quite. Nice. It's just an evening thing as well. So, um, and it was a. Uh, a friend of my wife's so i will kind of my only role there was to be a bit of arm candy as i told her you're a great candy and uh yeah. just to get yeah just to get steadily pissed throughout the night which was quite fun um regretted it on the uh saturday though because obviously hangovers with a uh, energetic near four-year-old is um yeah it could be quite troubling yeah. um uh business-wise it's been good um I've got like three chapters left to write now oh, for great. the latest Sampo nice. book. So I completed NaNoWriMo. I think I may have mentioned that on the pod last yeah. week, or you I, was, just I finished, think I yeah. got there just the day before it ended. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'm just shy now of 70,000 words. Um, so a couple more chapters. First draft's done. There's still work to be done on it, of course, but that can go off and I can get that back, uh, hopefully, in and around Christmas time and then, I can get it all ready for the the new year to go. Uh, so I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get back to doing another Jack Townsend oh, book. So yeah. kind of, that's, that's doing um, really well. It's selling every day. It's already got nearly like 150 ratings on really? wow. on Amazon. Fine, it's just being like, well received. So, so yeah, that was good. So, I mean, I've kind of just had my head down writing for most of the last week. Right. Um, and then my aim is finish the book this week send that off then have a week of just getting on top of all my admin all my ads everything that i need to kind of tick off over the next week and then i'm going to take some time off over christmas so Great. it's been a good week how about your how about your good self good 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 that sounds like a nice schedule you've got going on i i, I love a plan um i i love to know where i stand and what, what i have coming and going um, so similar to you, yeah, a lot of writing, well, a lot of writing for me. I've, I've about four and a half thousand words done of the next novella, and I sort of wanted to get between five and ten thousand of that words down before Christmas coming into the new year, but ten thousand words will be a great start for me. It, it might be nice. might be a little lower, but we'll, we'll see how I go on over the next two weeks before I stop on the 22nd of December uh, for Christmas. So that, yeah, and sort of trying to give an hour a day to my writing. Um, I've had an awful lot of admin to do. We're coming towards the, at the end of the year. I'm looking to do a subscription model, as I spoke about on the show last week. And I'll talk about that as, as it grows, hopefully, in the new year. 
and I'm looking at changing my website as well. So I'm doing, an, I, I have a few plates I'm spinning and most prominently the screen page because okay. that's, that's, I, I had a meeting, what day is today? Well, we're recording on a Thursday. I had a meeting two days ago on Tuesday and I have another meeting then before Christmas. So that's sort of plugging along. I'm being, yeah, I, I'm, I'm spinning a lot of plates and putting uh, different fingers in different pies. Um, I'm still not selling an awful lot of books so I'm, I've been turning off my mm. ads. My Facebook ads haven't been performing the last four weeks or so, November, December. It's something okay. about them. I, I haven't been giving them great attention, so I've turned them off, and I'm going to return to them in the new year. I'll just take profit from whatever sells uh, through the month of December. But yeah, uh, um, yeah, bit a, a, a lots of little things done rather than any huge uh, hurdle client. But yeah, another eventful week, I guess, as an independent author. So we are talking this week, uh, David, about narrative styles. Um, so uh, discussion more around the writing as opposed to the business side of things. And yeah. considering you are the resident two in the author's lecturer um, <laughs> when it comes to these sorts of things, um, I guess I'll hand over to you to sort of give kind of a bit of structure as to what about narrative styles we're going to have a discussion about today. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah, it is a bit back to the classroom, this one. But I mean, uh, Rob, you and I, you, we, we talk to authors every week on this show. And I, I also uh -huh. know there are people listening to this show who haven't quite read, written their book yet. They want to write a book. Um, so they're at the very sort of beginning stages. And I, I, this just something I, I've done with many students over the years is, is there's so many people. So there we have authors listen to this show who are 20 books deep and authors who really want to do what we're doing and write their first book. But um, so I, I, I firmly believe so many people have a book idea in them. We, you know, mm. we have stories inside our heads, which is great. So most people we talk to have got an idea for a story. That's great. That's good. That's a really good place to start. Um, yeah. But what I've always said to my students then is, in order to make that story great or, or, or that story sing, it's not, okay, you've got a great idea about a, a bank robbery, say. Now, how are you going to tell that story? That's the next question. Now, that's the most important question. So how are you going to tell that story? I guess really is the same question of saying, what is going to be your narrative uh, style for this? Mm -hmm. So just to go through, we'll go through just four main narrative styles. Well, three really, but we, we, we'll discuss four. And we'll sort of say what each of them are and why, you know, certain ones lend themselves probably well to certain genres okay. and why you may not even have to stick with one, that you can use multiple narrative styles through one story, which is what I do and have, and have done since uh, book one. So the four main narrative styles, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know this, but, but, but we're going you to know. go through it in a, a, a bit more detail. So narrative style, number one, omniscient. So your storyteller is omni. She or he is God. They know everything. So as they're telling the story, they know what's in Jack's head. They know what's in Laura's head. They know what's in um, Sean's head. They know what's happening throughout the story, why he feels this way, why she feels that way. It's a God telling the story who knows everything about all the characters and all the settings. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's great examples of that. Omni is, you know, if we go back to Mary Alcott, um, Little Women, written Omni, she knows everything about all these characters in this family and everything about the home, the past, the present, the future. The The narrator is a god. They know it all. So, yeah, great. Um, Little Women, Game of Thrones, anything Leanne Moriarty writes, to give a more contemporary example, you know, like um, Big Little Lies and Nine yeah, Perfect yeah. Strangers. And, and you see, uh, Omni... There, there's a good example. Uh, Leanne Moriarty is a psychological um, thriller writer, okay? So she uses this sort of omni. I know everything about all these characters and I'm going to break this down for you. So narrative style number one, omni, omniscient, your narrator, the person telling your story, knows everything. Uh-huh. Now we can bring that down um, then to give examples of the next narrative style. So third person narration which is i would say the majority use this i think you use this rob in your brilliant sam pope books and um, so third you do indeed so third person means you your narrator is telling the story from a third perspective if that makes sense um so um you're you're, you're i mean great examples of this are george orwell of course 1984 animal farm City of Bones, The Book Thief, all the Harry Potter stuff that um, J.K. Rowling writes. Nearly forgot yeah. <laughs> the most prominent contemporary uh, <laughs> author name there for a second. So it, it's a story encompassing this whole school, Hogwarts uh-huh. school, and all these wizards. And, and I, I haven't actually read them, I could say. I'm going to read I them. I tried. Of it. I tried. You've tried yeah. to Right, I not your cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. Um, one of my friends finds that disgusting, but I just said it's just just not for me. Um, yeah. But but um, but while we're on third person, because that's where I know I sit. Um, yeah, it's very similar to omniscient in a way. Yes, it, it is very similar. So I'll just give you the the, the very brief difference. There is. Um, J.K. Rowling is telling Harry Potter from almost Harry's perspective, but not first person. We're going to win the first person in a moment. Yeah. But it's not it's not Omni. It, 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 it's, it's whatever that third person or that character can see or know is what the um, narrator can tell you or inform you. Yeah. Whereas Omni, they know everything. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's just, it is very similar. And um, that question pops up a lot and if I give you put it into Google what's the difference between omniscient and third person we're, we're talking about a fine thread there the yeah, omni yeah. knows everything the third person narrator is narrating from a one character's perspective but what they can see and what they can hear and what they know is what the narrator knows well it's it's the thing of um, you know the third person would be I'm in the room in the corner while these scenes are happening and I'm relaying them to you as a, you know, I'm the third, my third person perspective. So I don't know what's happening until I move to the other room and then I can relay that. Whereas the Omni person knows what's going on in all the rooms at the same time. Exactly. That's that. I've never put it better myself in my years of teaching, Rob. I'm going to nick that one on you. It's like I'm a writer. Uh, yeah, yeah, you keep saying, oh, well, you're the guy who knows all this crappy stuff, but it's all inside your head as well, definitely. Mm. Uh, just I've had more practice of, of uh, talking uh, publicly. But so, yeah, omniscient, third person then that you use uh-huh. so brilliantly in your novels. Um, 
and uh, it's then first person, which is you are only inside the head of a character, and you can only know and see and talk about and narrate from their perspective, what they know, what they see. Mm-hmm. And I use this a lot. Uh, first person and you'll find with psychological thriller writers they might use first person a lot more because the psychological element and genre that they're writing it lends itself to an inside the head of a character of course and yeah. this character yeah so that psychological makes sense yeah I'm, I'm, I'm doing i'm telling the story from the head and the perspective of one character and um, um just sorry to, sorry to interrupt that david if you no problem break it down as crudely as that if people are wondering, so like you said, the, the main thing people need to know is what um, style they're going to write their book. And different styles meet different genres. I write yeah. action thrillers. So my books are more led by action, which is better yeah. relayed from a third-person perspective. Because I'm describing Absolutely. what's happening. Not, I'm not describing how it feels to get hit in the face or how it yeah. feels to be ducking bullets. Whereas if you're writing a psychological, so I write that in the third person perspective. If you're then writing a psychological thriller and it's about what's going on in the mind and how these things are having an impact on someone's mental state and how they're reacting to these incidents that are happening to them, then you want to know what's going on in their head. Then that's what lends it to the psychological element of a first person perspective. If you break it down like that. Yeah, that's so well put. It is very genre specific. Um, I mean, that's not to say you can't write a good romance novel in first person because it will be interesting to get the perspective of these two lovers. You know, you, you can do one from sure. Jane's point of view and one from Paul's and now you're realising, oh, this is how he feels about her. Oh, this is how she feels about him. That you, you can almost make your romance novel a psychological romance novel in that way. But you're dead right. For what you write, Rob, third person makes so much sense. In fact, if you go through the library of books akin to yours like the jack reaches of this world third person is exactly what the reader wants and what they expect yeah. from that genre now that's not to say you can't mix up mix around with that and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'll talk about mixing around mixing genres now or mixing narrative styles in a second but yeah before we uh get on to that i just want to briefly talk about the fourth um narrative style on our list which is one we won't really use and fiction writers very rarely use it which is second person narration and that's rare that's where the narrator is talking to you directly the reader so to say you will do this okay so that is very very rare in fiction writing but you will find it a lot in non-fiction writing so my wife does a lot of non-fiction writing she's talking to her audience so that makes sense in that regard but I, I guess for us talking about narrative style for fiction writers predominantly, that's second person, we'll rule it out. So there's three main ones there. Omniscient, third person, and first person. Now, my books, when, I'm, when I talk about mixing up narrative styles, in fact, I, I, I'll, I'll, we'll go back to your books, Rob, for a second. We're just saying you've picked the perfect narrative style for your genre. You've got this action thriller and um, hero and your narrator is describing um, the scenes and the experiences Sam Pope goes through uh, from this third person perspective. Perfect. Makes makes ideal sense that that's how you would approach your books. Now, I've worked with authors who have worked in your genre before. I, I'll even name one. I'm sure he won't mind. Uh, Rob Ashman, slightly just off your genre. It's a bit more police procedural action hero than um, renegade action hero like yours, Rob. 
But what he does is he writes all of the investigative stuff, his hero stuff, third person. And in each separate book, there's a villain. But he will go psychological first person on the villain. Every alternative chapter. I think I know why for that. Because I, I, I've read other police procedural books where, where that happens. And I guess there's a mm-hmm. struggle I had, right, with um, my Jack Townsend book. Because I was like, how do I write the killer into this book without giving away who it is without yeah. going into first person? Because, you know, it's like, if you look at something like Luther, the TV series Luther, which was originally what I think I was aiming for, and I don't think I got there, and I think I became, Jack Thunder became quite a police procedural, grittier yeah, quite a gritty, violent right. one, but still one all the same. But with Luther, like, you find the killer in the first five minutes of the episode, usually. It's usually some creepy guy in a mask butchering someone for some satanic reason. Yeah. But you can't do that in a book um, because you can't give away who the killer is. Well, you can, and then I guess the narrative can be about how are they going to find him. But I guess the idea of going into the killer's mind is a trick that can be used so... You can write from the perspective of the killer without giving away the identity. And this is where you were saying earlier, David, you can go between two narrative styles to fit what it is that you're trying to put out. Yeah, you're so right. And and that's even more prominent in contemporary art, Rob, where you see this sort of multi-narrative style taking place. So Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, these sort of psychological crime thrillers that use uh, many different narrative styles. And, and those sort of books were big inspirations for me. It was it was sort of when I read those couple of books that I thought, oh, I can do this. And what's exciting about using multi-narrative styles is it actually, it, it makes the books easier to write because you're going, okay, so I've got, I have to write 12 chapters in this first person and then I'm writing, you know, 13 chapters in this omniscient. And so it's, it almost structures the book for you uh, uh, and bullet points it out, gives you good... Um, notes on where to go and where to take it so you're not really just landing on a blank page every day i'm always anti the blank page um so if we take one of my yeah i always know where i have something to do yeah so if we take in the middle of middle america which is one of my best sellers um that is a story about news media right it's essentially about how news media affects us so i have written this good narrative around this fake news network called CSN in America. Very Sounds very much like a few of them. Um, and this TV presenter slash newsreader, Zara Jane Sadansky. Now, all of this is told uh, uh, third person. It's sort of a little bit from her point of view or perspective of what she can see, but it's, it's all about the new, backstage at the news studio and just before they're going on air. Now, that intercuts into seven different characters first person points of view because essentially what i wanted to do was was give i had this idea in my head of this story set in the newsroom affecting everyday regular people who are just sitting at home watching the telly and i thought well how can i tell that story it sounds like a good idea dave how are you going to tell it and that's how i came up with it i'm going to go into the seven people who the news story affects heads as first people 
narrative and then i'm going to tell the whole the bigger chunk of chapters from this third person point of view so i'm mixing and matching the different narrative strands to give my story its best outlet so it's one thing i say as i said at the start of this we all have an idea in our head for a story the next big question then every author has to ask themselves is how they're going to tell that story so you're going to pick your narrative point of view, or as we just mentioned there, narrative point of views. You might pick a few which best tells your story. Now, Rob, I know you wanted, so they're the, they're the four basics. I know you wanted to talk about tense. Yeah, I, I, I thought when we, we said we were going to talk about like narrative style, I thought tense is quite a an important one because you can't flip-flop. Re unless you're making it very clear so you can have stuff set in the past you can have stuff set happening now but if that's the decision you make you need to stick with it and be consistent because i i relay the sam pope books out as in things that have happened like i don't say he is picking up the gun i say he picked up the gun and it's that has to be consistent it sounds pernickety but trust me, there's nothing worse than getting that wrong and someone calling you out on it. Um, and that's where your editors and stuff come in. So things like that need to be uh, really consistent. When it comes to like the things happening in past, like line, being linear, I've had I've started a book with Sam strapped to a chair, being beaten the shit out of by um, some Mexican cartel. And then the next chapter starts with four days earlier. I'm like, okay, cool. So... Yeah, it's, it's sort of like if you think about a film, like um, you look at John Wick is a good example, the Keanu Reeves film. That film starts with him crashing a car and getting out with a bullet in his stomach. And then it goes back a few days and and then you see how this way works. So it doesn't have to be as linear. Like I, I have uh, scenes where you'll see something that's happening. So one of the things I think I'm pretty good at doing is like I've just written a scene where um, this police officer who's like, the key one of the key characters in this new Sam Pope book she's strapped to a chair in this burning building and this guy is coming up the stairs to kill her but in the background she can hear some explosions she can hear some gunshots the next chapter is probably set five minutes before that one where Sam Pope's getting there and he's the one who's blowing up these cars and he's the one shooting that gun so you can kind of see what's happening so when the point comes that they meet in the middle you've get both their journeys at the same time so it's not completely linear but it is this is all happening at the same time i'm just giving you all the different perspectives of it from the different characters because my big my big rule is is nothing can just happen he can't just turn up and save the day he has to this is how we got to that point um no no coincidences so so when it comes to like it being linear as long as you can structure narrative like um I'd say Betsy Blake's a really good point of that, of things happening now and then scenes happening in the past. And then you've also mixed in the different first person perspectives. So I guess what um, I think I'm trying to say is, is you, you find out where your book set, is it happening? Like, are we seeing things as they're happening or are you just kind of doing like what I'm doing when you're saying he's picked up the gun, he's done this. And then once you have that, once you know that, and once you combine that with your narrative style, 
I think then you're kind of in the right headspace to get your book written down. Oh, yeah, Rob, you make a great point about tense there. Because as you know now, at this stage, I've edited, I think, 90 novels and I've worked with so many yeah. students um, over the years. And tense, the inconsistency in tense, it seems to be a big problem for people when they're just starting out. So mm-hmm. like we there about um, all these different narrative styles and keeping those consistent, you really have to keep your tense consistent as well and, yeah. and, and just make sure you're keeping an eye on that. But yeah, I mean, these types of topics, Rob, you and I could talk, we could talk about them until the cows come home, right? <laughs> I think we could talk about anything till the cows come home, I think, David. Yes. <laughs> non-stop talkers you and I but yeah I, I we enjoy these um topics about craft so so hmm. we'll, we'll pick we'll pick this up or something akin to it in the new year and we will we'll we'll make sure that we have a craft topic sort of one every fifth episode or so my book is done my cover's right I run some ads but my sales are shite, so I think I'll ask the mailbag to indie authors. It's time for the mailbag. Yes, <laughs> Rob. Go. Two weeks in a row, you fucking nailed it, man. I tell you what, maybe I, maybe I just like when you sing in December. Just, okay, just Christmas hooks. That's all it is. Um, but we are at the mailbag, David, and we have a question that was emailed in by Catherine Balfour, uh, which she says, you two often mention branding. How do I even begin with branding? I have one book out, which has sold a few hundred eBooks and only 12 paperbacks. I have 82 people following me on Facebook and only 35 on X or Twitter, as it used to be known as. Where do I even begin with branding? Um, okay, well, Catherine, thanks very much. Yeah, that is a, a very interesting question. So, oh, branding. I mean, there's whole sort of three-year degrees on branding, so it's difficult to sort of surmise uh, very quickly, Catherine. But just just to say to you, it, it, it can be anything. It can be colouring. It could be fonts. Um, um, a, a good mm-hmm. example of how I use branding is if you look at the front cover of all of my books, you will see my bylines at the top. I'm not saying everyone should put their byline at the top, but it's about continuity through the series. If you look at Rob's series, you know they're Robert Enright books. And if you look at mine, you'll know they're a David B. Lines book. So I use sort of font as branding. As I said, you can use colours, you can use uh, illustration and imagery. So it's about keeping that consistent or that branding consistent, Catherine, and making sure that when people see it, they they, they almost think of you when they, when they see the branding at the same time. So, Rob, you, yours is great because if you look through certain categories, um, you mm-hmm. have like 10 books in the top 50 in certain categories. And when people are breezing through that, they see all the Robert Enright books and that's how you really utilise branding so well. Wow, that's pressure, isn't it? Um, first thing I'd say, well, two things to say. First one, congratulations on having, you've got a book out and you've, you've got sales. Second thing I would say is uh, your branding doesn't, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on the platforms. That's not your branding. That's your following and that's something different. Um, that's a different topic. We've covered that on another episode. I guess that sort of echo David's sentiment is, you know, it's, it's a consistent message that tells someone that this is your books. They, they know it's you. So um, whether that's like your covers, 
Uh, David made a good point about fonts. I have the same fonts on my covers that I have on my ads that I have on my website. Um, I have the same colors that are used on my book covers to market them. Those types of decisions are made carefully um, to establish that brand. Um, and then if you are then going towards your social media, yourself you're part of the brand like you are part of the brand of your books so um how i interact with my people on facebook how i interact with readers what i share with them is very consistent it's very on brand a lot of the time so i, I yeah you can't overthink it the brand will grow the more books you write because you'll have more content and you'll have more things to play with more colors more schemes you'll pick your theme you'll start falling into your rhythm the more you get out there the more you grow the bigger you you can start building your brand so um just stay consistent and keep it within your genre okay rob it is time for the seven questions and we are inviting back a friend of the show Michael Evans. Michael, thank you so much uh, for giving us more of your time on this podcast. Very happy to be here. You guys rock. Oh, cool, man. Thanks very much. Well, yeah. it's, it's our pleasure. Of course, we had yourself and Amelia on a couple of weeks ago um, talking about the fantastic uh, Ream uh, subscription model that you both use. And I'm cur- I've been going through the uh, boot camp for that, Michael, over the past week. So I'm, cool. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm that far away um, from setting up my tiers. I have sketch lines out there but uh, i'm really looking forward to it um so, so yeah. thank you again for appearing on that show a couple of weeks ago we're, we're now going to concentrate on your um publishing career which is is, is quite fast you, you've just told us you've 12 fiction books and two non-fiction books out so can you give our listeners a little bit of a, a background of your publishing career to date yeah it started now just about seven years ago when I really got into indie publishing. I was listening to Joanna Penn, um, the Johnny Truant, Sean Platt, and the Sterling Stone guys, and then Mark Dawson as well. Yeah. And I had been writing in high school at that point and had written like two books, but didn't really like think much about it. It was just something I really enjoyed to do. And it was really just, yeah, I was like so caught up in just the writing. But then I think after I finished my second book, I was like, like maybe I could actually do this thing. Like, you know, I didn't have the confidence until then, but then I was like, yeah. maybe I could be an author. So I was looking into like how to do it. And then I found that like self-publishing is a thing. So that was like literally like 2016 Christmas going into 2017 New Year when I discovered that there was a thing. Because like everyone, you don't even know it's a thing until you know. And then exactly. you're like, what? I can do this? <laughs> I don't know. You know, you, you always thought like it was impossible to publish a book, right? And not that it isn't hard, but anyone could do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, that was what started it for me and then published my first book a little over six years ago in that October. And then over oh, the we lost you, Mike. Can you hear him, like Robert? three years. Oh, nice. Frozen for me. My actual Uh-oh. internet connection went, whoops. Can you all hear me right now? Oh, you just cut out from the there, Michael. You were just saying, sorry, you cut out for about yeah. 10 seconds. Um, yeah, I saw that. That you thought it was like impossible to publish a book and then you realize yeah so we'll just pick up from there if that's okay yeah yeah i'll switch it together okay Brilliant. sorry about that. i internet's just no one problem. of those things uh yeah and i realized it's like wait like you 
I could do this thing, it's possible to actually publish a book online. And I'd always been interested in running my own business. I write science fiction. So to me, it was like kind of cool to like be at the cutting edge of technology too. So I just fell in love with like being an indie author. So I published my first book a little over six years ago. Um, took me about like a year just of like learning, saving up money to like actually get the first book out because we all know how it is. Editor, cover designer, all those things. Yeah. Uh, of course, you don't need those things to publish your first book. Um, but I wanted to do that because um, I... I didn't even know that there was an option to not do that. I, I was like, I, I think this is the only way. And it was it was good to do from the beginning, trying to develop a professional product. But yeah, over the next three years, I published 12 books, um, all fiction in three different series, all set in like the same near future universe. Ton of fun. And then, which is crazy to say, it's been actually three years since I've published fiction. After that, I got into YouTube. I did about like, 50 or 60 YouTube videos and I'd live stream for about a thousand hours. Um, and then the last two years I've been focused on Ream and I've written two nonfiction books in that time. And I'll have a third and a fourth coming out probably in the next year. So um, I'm still writing books, but not fiction at the moment. But I hope once I'm out of college, I'll be back to writing fiction. That's the, that's the goal. So it's just the 14 books in those seven years plus you founded Ream. Yes, yes. Well, you exactly. must have more hours in a day than I have. <laughs> I don't know about I mean, that. It's incredible. And the fact that you just you just said at the end, just when I get out of college. It's like all this before you're not, you're not even out of college. Uh, it's incredible. I, I, yeah. David uh, knows I'm a massive proponent for uh, a strong work ethic. And I think the fact that you've been able to get that many done, um, that many books out, well, f f uh, found Ream with Amelia and also put all that time into YouTube as well. I think uh, it's been fantastic. And I think the answers you'll have for us for our seven questions will be uh, really interesting for our listeners. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're ready, I will hit you with the first one. Let's do it. Um, so the first question we ask everyone uh, is, are you a full-time author? Uh, no, I'm not a full-time author in, I guess, both definitions of the word. I don't make a full-time income from writing. And I also um, am not currently writing um, fiction full-time. I would say I'm a full-time publishing professional. I yeah. am mm -hmm. easily working full-time in the industry, but uh, not as an author. Really interesting. Yeah, so it's... Um, it, it, did you say it was... You have three different series in those 12 books that you... Fiction books that you published? Yeah, yeah. Right, is there, is there four books in each... There was six and one, then three and three. And um, uh, lo long story about how like the set, the third series was supposed to be longer. Um, right. It's supposed to keep going. There's supposed to be five books, but I got really, really burnt out three years ago from from fiction publishing and yeah. the grind of the ads and the model that I was running at that time just wasn't for me. I think I was I was writing a lot, but I wasn't um, seeing you know. The, the enjoyment was being lost. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I haven't, I've written a fiction book since then, but haven't published it. Um, and it's in a totally different series. And part of why I haven't published it is because I kind of want to go back and finish that other series for my readers yeah. um, before I like go on to something new. But I kind of had to get the wheels turning with something new to get back into it. And it's nothing specific with the series. It really just was like this huge mental block of like, I like, this was my dream and I loved this, yeah. but now like I've turned this into something that like feels not only like a job, but like a job that's like stressing me out so much. And yeah. it wasn't something I was able to keep doing sustainably. 
I, I can I totally hear you on that. That happened to me um, a, a year ago, last summer of 2022. I definitely suffered from burnout of, of writing fiction and, and, and was to take this whole year off where I didn't want to write another book, which is going to promote my uh, previous books and previous works. But it, it, it it's something that happens, absolutely. Rob and I talk often on this show about the isolation of independent publishing. And yeah. it, it's definitely part of it. So... Yeah, yeah. Part of the reason for me of now going down the Ream route and the subscription route, and and wanting to work now with other authors, uh, editing their works and 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 getting them them published and and you know getting their scripts up to scratch is because I just I want to end this podcast. With, I want to work with others. I need. To, I just felt like I did burn out yeah. from there. So I totally hear you on that. Um. So question two then asks, uh, Michael, uh, about a decision we all make when we are publishing our, our novels, particularly to Amazon. And I know you like to be a bit more uh, wide than just Amazon, but your eBooks, do you have them in Kindle Unlimited? Are you exclusive at Amazon for those? Or are you wide across the board? I'm wide now. Um, and I was wide when I first started for my first year in publishing, but then for the next three was exclusive to KU. And then since I burned out, I just unenrolled my books in KU. Um, and I'm not actively like I wouldn't say marketing my fiction all that much at the moment. Um, if I was to like right now make a decision, I would not go back into KU. But also being completely honest, I would probably change my target audience a bit because at the time I was looking at the books that were like just selling at the top of the charts. Yeah. Um, and it was like, OK, post-apoc survival, EMP, um, very specific dystopian fiction. Um, and to be honest, that isn't what I'm passionate about. Like, it's not too far away from it. I didn't yeah. stray too far away. But what I'm really passionate about is writing books for like, I've always written books about like, which is funny because I'm founding a technology company now. They were always about people founding technologies, innovations that change the world. And that's what <laughs> I want to write for that audience. And I think it's just a totally different model um, in terms of like what my business model would be like, um, how I find my audience. So I definitely know the future. I wouldn't be. In, K in KU, um, but I also would be marketing quite differently from a lot of other authors because my passion is just to write for a different audience that I think performs well in KU. So all of that is to say that it's a very personal decision. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's, it, it is one, and that's why it's such a uh, question we enjoy asking. Seems a bit prying, um, but we like asking that because we get so many answers um, because like uh, for ages, David, we've both been in KU. Yeah. But for you, your page reads have taken a dip, whereas mine have maintained really high. Yeah. So for me, the idea of turning that tap off when it equates to probably about 50% of my income at this moment yeah. in time isn't isn't a possibility for me. Yeah. Whereas I know David's now, especially when he's looking at the subscription model with Ream, but also just when he's thinking about how to kickstart his books, it's well with KU, isn't it being this, you know, a tap of money essentially for my business that maybe I can turn it off and, and turn some others on elsewhere. Yeah. So it's a really good one. And I like the idea that you're thinking about your audience because it's a huge part of it is understanding where you're, where you find your readers. Um, I write action fiction and detective fiction now. So they're both very high, um, like has a lot of people who just devour those books. So KU works for me. Yeah. Um, but again, like you said, it's a personal decision and it's one you need to understand uh, how it aligns with your business. So um, thank you for that. 
question three, we'll get a little bit more under the hood now. And question three is name the one service you use as an indie author that you cannot do without. Mailing list easily. Mm-hmm. Wherever you host your mailing list. I, I think a lot of them, there's lots of different platforms you can use. And I think we all are aware of quite a few, but um, that is the one thing I could not do without. I think having your readers' emails is so important because we make money in this business by marketing to our existing fans. If we're constantly trying to find new readers, um, that's just a treadmill that is going to lead to burnout inevitably for anyone. Yeah. Um, so being able to have that direct connection to your existing audience is so powerful. And it's it's the one thing that I could not do without. Everything else, um, you know, even, you know, I still use Word. Uh, like, yeah. I'm that guy. So the mailing list is the one key thing for me. Yeah, it, it really is so important to own as much of the data on our readers as we possibly can. So having that email is is much more important than even another sale, say, from a stranger that you don't know. So yeah. So so capturing your readers in the net and then trying to hold them and 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 cultivate them into to use a, a David Cochran phrase with super fan where they're just totally invested. And then if you can get them that way, like you and Amelia have proven through Ream, well then suddenly there's different revenue generators that you that you can work on these groups of fans. But um yeah, it, it's it's all I've realized that my burnout came from exactly um what you just described, Michael, was yeah, I'd had these couple of breakout hits. My books sold hundreds of thousands. It was a really great start. People don't have the start I had yeah. traditionally in independent publishing. Um, but and I just thought, well, here we go. This is this is fucking oh, great. Geez. This is a hundred grand a year from just writing a, a two books a year, and then suddenly when that started dipping, and I realised, oh, not every book does that. And then I and, and yeah, it yeah. was more the grind of waking up every day and thinking, oh, I have to keep finding the audience, keep finding the audience, keep finding them. So I'm you only know, I can uh... I can only say in the last year or two that I found retaining your data on your readers is so key like you've just described you know there's a interesting quote because a lot of i'd say my best friends i have a lot of author friends now when i burned out i had zero friends probably period uh which was was an issue um (laughs) that could be a whole conversation but um before i i burned out um now that it's since after i burned out i've made a lot of author friends also a lot of other creator friends and um a lot of my friends are youtubers and one really prominent youtuber i'm not friends with him personally but friends with some of his friends his name's ryan trahan um he has this saying that he has it's super profound which is that you know we're like in a business in the creator world of asymmetric rewards and the most shocking and hard thing to actually come to fruition with is that hard work and the amount of effort you put in does not equate to a linear outcome in this business at all. Mm-hmm. You cannot predict because you worked 100 hours on a book and then 100 hours in that next book or 200 hours in the following book that that book's going to do twice as good because you spent twice as long or twice as much money on it, whatever it is. That's just not how this game works. It's much more akin to like a casino. Um, and I would kind of... My big one-liner is if, if publishing is a casino, the good news is that you're the house as the author. So as long as you can stay in the game right. and keep betting on yourself, you're going to have a win at some point, but you have to stay in the game. Um, and that, that probably means not betting all your cards on one hand. Yeah, that's a great point. That's one of the, that. the, that's one of the best points that we, we've had raised since we've been doing these interviews over a year, Michael. It makes so much sense. And Rob is a sucker for a, a good quote. So 
I think you might see that taken and steal, stolen and put on our social media. That's great. And you can put it anywhere. Where you? Print the t-shirts and just give send me one. I, I'm, I'm there for it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get a little trademark Michael Evans in there somewhere, but we'll put a small asterisk. We'll put it in the fine print. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the casino then and, and laying down your money and betting on yourself. Question four um, is a good segue for that because it asks, how do you market mm. your books? Okay, I'll ask this in two parts, how I did market my books and how I'm marketing my books now, because I actually right. haven't published fiction in three years, but I'm still marketing my fiction. I'll share how. But first, let's let's share what I was saying before. So initially, when I first started publishing, I wasn't marketing at all, like the first year or so. Um, there's two reasons for that. One, I had no idea what marketing was. Um, second mm -hmm. of all, um, I kind of used that excuse of kind of being scared to market myself and going, well, I'll, I need a bigger backlist, which is true the bigger backlist you're going to market yourself better yeah. in reality i think there's a little bit of a lie to that the reality is the more you write you're going to become a better writer um so when you yeah. have that one really good book that one really good book is going to carry most of the way which we've all seen for david that was an early book in your career yeah for most of us it's like i, I most authors i talk to it doesn't happen before book 10 i mean and that right. and that's okay right so writing is the goal because we have to get better at it no one wakes up and is born stephen king right stephen king works a lot and writes a lot to get practices craft right so that's one thing but obviously like just writing a book does nothing like i had this fantasy when i first got started that like i don't know just like i put my book on amazon and readers would find it obviously that didn't happen so then i just need to start marketing myself and honestly like credit to uh the amazing authors of the united kingdom specifically uh mr dawson um i was at uh 20 books vegas 2019 and again i had no idea how to market my books but i just spent the money to go there to try and learn and my real secret goal was to get an internship with Mark Dawson. So I walked up to him on stage, shook his hand, and was like, hey, can I have an internship? And he actually said yes. So I was able to like audit all of his courses, oh, wow. not with some things behind the scenes. And, Incredible. Uh, you know, lo love the self-publishing formula team. Um, I, 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 not if I didn't already sound positive, though. But um, when that happened, like I learned about ads. So I started running ads. And like they worked like you know like i was able to start getting an audience so i was able to start making like a thousand dollars a month in royalties off my books wow that was really cool that happened consistently throughout the year of 2020 the issue was was twofold one um i didn't have a high enough read through rate so although this one marketing strategy was working for me i was really optimizing for the sale right and how yeah. can i jerk up my sales ranking and not thinking deeper about who is my audience really who is the target audience is going to enjoy my book? And again, this is not a slight on ads. It's that you need to do something before the market to figure out who are you marketing to. Yeah. So I was in real time experiencing that customer discovery, that reader discovery, except I was doing it at scale where like there's thousands of dollars a month that's coming in and being spent. And then you're realizing the margin isn't that high. So it sounds great to like have a book at 8,000 in the store consistently. Um, it sounds great to be making, you know, $1,500 a month, except it stinks when you realize the read rate is high enough. You should be making more at that ranking and the profit is really bad. So you're at the end of the month going like, I hope that I can like pay off the credit card bill, right? Because the margin is yeah. that low. That was stressful. Um, so I would say like the biggest issue was like I marketed my books by paying for leads. Nothing wrong with that. I was able to get leads to effectively want to get into my book. Um, right. Most of that was through Facebook ads. The issue 
was that I like totally did not have an understanding of what I was actually doing here. Like, what am I in the business of selling books? Sure. I was selling books, but I'm in the business of actually getting readers to fall in love with me. And I didn't understand what kind of reader that was. Meanwhile, I had some readers that loved my books. Um, so it wasn't that like it, they were, it was just missing the wrong audience. Yeah. And I was, yeah. So that was the one thing. Now, what am I doing? So I made that mistake. Now, what am I doing? I understand the CUNY I want to build and I'm marketing CUNY first and the CUNY that I want to build is a group of people that are similar to me and you don't have to do this as an author, but for me, why I write, why I'm obsessed with my stories is because I love technology. I want to see how technology can change the world, but I'm also freaking scared of it. So having people where we can bring <laughs> these conversations together to talk about technology and talk about the future and people who are interested in actually creating these futures is who I want to write for. So it's scientists, it's engineers, it's entrepreneurs. That's who I want to write for. And I want to write fiction for them, not business books, fiction. Right. Um, so how I market my work now is effectively by building a community of engineers, scientists, and founders. And um, like right now on my phone contacts, I would have hundreds of people interested in reading my books if I was to release a book um, that would then promote it themselves. And I that's it. And over the next couple of years, as I keep building this like Rolodex, right, um, I'll have hundreds of people, key people of influence, um, who can who can share my book with the world. And then, yeah, of course, like I would want to scale that through probably creating content for them, right? Building that relationship deeper. And I've, and I've thought about doing that, but that's not my main focus now because I'm focusing a bit more on Ream and the publishing technology side of things, but also secretly building my credibility as someone who can build a technology company helps build know. more credibility in that community. And I've always wanted to be an author. Now I just know who I'm writing for. I'm writing for people who want to create better futures powered by technology and storytelling. So that clear mission statement and target audience of like, I know what they look like. I know what cities they live in. I know what podcasts I listen to. Like I just didn't have in the beginning, but don't be discouraged if you don't have that now, because to be frank, like it takes time. It takes iteration. It yeah. takes testing. The one thing I would tell you to be is more patient than I am and not as hard on yourself because I hated myself and thought I was just a piece of like dirt because I wasn't selling fast enough in reality. Like we're building this business over decades, not months. And if it takes you years to find your readers and to understand what you want your career to look like over decades, that makes sense because yeah, I love writing stories, but what stories do you want to write? Who do you want to write them for? That is the big question we're all searching for. And I think that's the thing that we can actually overthink. So if anything, take things slow, focus your marketing efforts. Um, and don't be like me who took a gap year between high school and college and put my whole self-worth on needing to get to $10,000 a month by the end of that gap year. I got to about 15% of that goal um, and burned out largely because I right. thought it wasn't good enough. And just because you're not reaching your goals fast enough financially doesn't mean you or your stories aren't good enough. It just means we're all on a different timeline. The best advice I've ever heard about building technology startups, and then when I realized this is true for authors too, I was like, wow, that was a moment of therapy, is that startups aren't built in a timeline author careers aren't built in a timeline so why are you holding yourself to yours age is just a number in this industry we have to embrace that with ourselves and not just you know saying it hokey pokey we have to really believe it Love i it. think that is one of the most interesting and definitely unique uh responses to how someone markets yeah. their book um but i think it's full of truth i think uh, of some of the stuff you're saying there especially the um the ability to put pressure on yourself and to set 
what you think is a reasonable goal when you don't know like you say this this game is a bit of a casino so if you start setting these massive goals for yourself and then you don't hit them you can then yeah it it, it really impacts your self-worth um i love your idea around building a community um first uh based on the type of people you want reading your book and who you're writing it for and then building that before launching it so it, you've kind of already built your audience as <laughs> you've bought yeah. like kind of built it into existence. Um, so I think that's, that's incredible. There's a lot of information in there. Um, but there's also a lot of kind of advice for people, uh, especially around the putting the pressure and the timelines and stuff like that, um, on yourself. I'm guilty of doing that. Um, and when I took stock and took a step back, that was when I kind of focused in and I stopped getting distracted by other ways of doing stuff or other things I could do to get there because I understood what my mission statement essentially was in the end, which was I want to become this author. I want to write these types of books so that I could eliminate the distractions. So a fascinating answer. Um, and I'm really intrigued as to what your answer will be to this one because I think your journey so far, especially with your tech background, has been so um interesting and unique is what's the one thing you know now that you wish you knew at the outset i wish i knew about a very simple concept that we all feel um and it's something that i think i've learned uniquely so given my now really deep immersion into the technology world but this concept of a power law and when you understand this it changes how you approach everything. So I I believe as humans, um, we are a network species. I'm not the only one who believes this, right? Um, there's a really interesting book that's very heady and philosophical, but if you're into this kind of thing, it's called The Intention Economy by Doc Searles. It was written over 10 years ago. It was about how like the advertising model of the internet is going to die. We're going to see the rise of what he calls VRMs, vendor relationship management systems, where effectively we would live in a world where there's no Amazon, but a reader gets to query query this thing and the authors then come to it to tell, give them the exact books the reader wants. It's interesting. It didn't happen, but there's some interesting ideas in his book. And one of the ideas is that you know, the internet is actually like a natural living being and that like it's an extension of the world so fundamental and obvious, just like oxygen. It, it, it is our nature to be networked in this way. Um, and it wasn't always in zeros and ones, but now it's in zeros and ones. It might be quantum computing in 50 yeah. years, which will go beyond that. That's not the point. The point is that we are a network species. The internet isn't anything new. It isn't anything new. But then what can we understand about the internet, about book marketing, um, and about how this industry works? There's two really key points. So one is that ne if network effects drive everything in culture and society, what a network effect is, is that the more people who are a part of something, the more value that there is being a part of it. We see this the best in cities like New York City. Um, New York City uh, is an um, incredible network effect where it's it's cold there. The it's expensive. Uh, people complain all the time about living there, yet they don't leave because the value just from all the people there is so high, right? And it's so hard to actually leave. This is what's true about things like Kindle Limited in the industry. When we like actually analyze it, like why should you go into KU? Is to leverage the distribution. That distribution is taking place because of the network effects, right? So what does this mean for actually driving your publishing business? I'm going to take this at a much more micro level. Your readers 
are actually the ones driving the discovery of your books. It's word of mouth. What books are is a high friction, high friction dis media format. So when you actually look at power laws of like the top creative people, what's super interesting is that TikTok being short form video content is much more equitably distributed than YouTube. Music is also a little bit more equal, uh, equally distributed. Books are one of the most unequally distributed fields. And 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 that has, doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the bigs on. It doesn't have anything to do with some magic algorithm. It has to do with how we discover things. When we look at a TikTok, it's a low friction format, right? We go in, it's it doesn't, there's not much word of mouth driving right. TikTok, right? It's short form video. Yeah. This is why it's democratized. I use quotes because if you know how to use TikTok, you know how to create videos, it's democratized discovery for authors who can get more leads. But effectively, what we've seen, what we've seen, and it's hard to really grasp my around this, is that books aren't really discovered by algorithms. Books aren't really discovered by ads. Right. How many people read their favorite books because of that? Yeah, there's some sales that come in there, but really almost all of it is driven by word of mouth because when something has high friction, there's a high cost to engaging with it, which means that how we compensate for that mentally is social factors. We need social signals to tell us to do this thing. Social signals are going to come in the form of reviews, which YouTube videos and TikToks do not have reviews. Why do books have reviews? Music does not have reviews. Why do books have reviews? But none of these other things do. Goes back to that. And then, of course, word of mouth, actual friends tell you. So now we get to the second stage of the equation, which is not all word of mouth is created equal. And right. there's certain nodes in specific networks that can drive asymmetrical discovery for you. Effectively, you want to find the cool kids in the party. That's what you're looking for. You're trying yeah. to connect with the cool kid. Um, and if I had known that just a few readers, a few super fans who were connected, that is what would make my business and actually spread discovery. And it's hard to measure these things, but yeah, one reader can get you 50 new readers. And that's what you're really looking for. Right. That's what's going to drive this business. I would have approached everything differently. I was so thinking about it from bro from this broken mathematics standpoint. I was thinking that we were in e-commerce selling t-shirts. Right. And, and that, you know, it's all about the CPC and the, and the diff differential and the conversion rate. All of that is BS. All yeah. of that is BS. Yeah, that's fine. But that's not actually what makes a business successful in publishing. You can run an e-commerce business off of that because there's no network effects to toilet paper. There's barely any <laughs> network effects to And the ones that do have network effects are more valuable than almost any company on earth. And right. that's what we call the cultural signaling of that. They're not running ads. So again, how do you actually create a valuable business when we're all in the culture business? It's by learning about what network tricks are and being able to leverage them, which ultimately goes back to behavioral psychology and sociology. And if I was to go back, I would have at least known what I just told you today because it would have changed everything about yeah. how I approach this business. It would have changed everything. That is a great answer. Wow, Michael, I'd love to live inside your brain for a half an hour. That's, that's, <laughs> it's quite a, such a, 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 a really intelligent where the route you take, the RO, the route you take um, to come to your conclusions or your analysis, it's so unique. I love that. It's fantastic, Brian. And, mm. and I've actually been listening to so much of you because I'm going through the boot camp for Reem at the moment. And it, you really have such a unique way in not only of conversing with these uh, independent authors, but, but just your way of thinking and coming to conclusions. It's, it's amazing. I'll be fascinated to know how you answer this one then. Uh, question six, because this is one of my favorite questions on this, on the seven questions. What's your biggest frustration as an independent author? I, I have two, but I'm going to be quick on the first one. The second one, I'll have to elaborate more. The, the first <laughs> is that 
it's so complicated to know where to get started now. When I got started in the industry and y'all too, it was a much simpler time. I feel like it was like, like KU versus wide was like a debate, but it was kind of a binary path. You either go wide yeah. or KU. Frankly, like KU versus wide is still a debate, still two big paths. But now we have like 20 other ones that we could take in addition. Yes. In addition, right? The crowdfunding, the subscriptions, all this stuff. It is really complicated. I really hope that there can be a future where we can simplify the author stack so that it doesn't feel like as a new creative, we have to like become both technology and business professionals just to start getting our stories out to the world. I think there's um, there's a lowering the barrier to entry that needs to take place. Um, and that's a frustration right. I have because it's, it. it's, it's, it's hard. Now, the second point is actually about the culture of the author industry. And I'm not calling out anyone specific here, uh, but I there, there's two things that I, I think really that really kind of can get on my um, nerves and frustrate me. And and the first is so many of us are in such a short-term thinking mindset. And we've been programmed to think and act this way um, by so many different forces because people profit off of it. But people are literally profiting off your fear. They're profiting off your debt. They're profiting off all this stuff. And um, as an industry, it feels like we're always FOMOing into the next thing, um, always overwhelming ourselves, always taking on more. And ultimately, I feel like we've lost the fun in all of this. And I'm guilty of this myself. Yeah. And I was frustrated at myself for so long. And I, and honestly, I don't think I'm alone in it. I see it every day. I've seen people in you know, different Facebook groups, sometimes our own, which I'm in the most. And it's like, they're asking, how can I like, you know, take this risky startup business, which is being an author and like make it in like a month and somehow like have a financial guarantee, right? Yeah. And then what ends up happening is we continually, continually believe the promises of charlatans and platforms that exploit us because we're so willing and so desperate for yeah. some sort of quick short-term outcome. And although indie authors don't have specific indie author credit cards, we have things that are analogous to it. We have we have businesses that prey on this industry analogous to it. And I'm actually not calling out completely this on here at all. Um, I think there's ones who are so far worse that I've become yeah. disgusted by that. And I've lost um, so much, like, uh, I have a lot of faith in this industry because I freaking love authors. Uh, but I have also lost a lot of faith in how we can interface the industry because it's so easy, so easy to fall for yeah. these traps. And my fr biggest frustration is seeing someone who is an amazing person who just needs like an hour of like author therapy just to be like, yo, it's good. Um, and they throw themselves in these spirals that ultimately make their beautiful story something that it wasn't, uh, an experience that it shouldn't have been, and make this dream a nightmare. And I don't want that for anyone. And I'm frustrated that that keeps on happening. That's amazing. Joanna yeah. Penn had a very, very similar answer to that question that you've just given us, Michael. Very similar. I love Joanna. Yeah, yeah I love her. Yeah, Joanna Joanna's incredible. Um, but I'm, I mean, it's one of the reasons why um, David and I started this podcast was we both, David's been full-time for a few years. I went full-time back end of last year. And we'd been speaking for a while just to, you know, over you know, it's probably during the pandemic we just kind of started. We were you know similar circles in Facebook, and um, we just reached out to ask each other a few questions. And then when we were having these conversations, we started talking about 
you know mistakes we'd made or things you know we we'd fallen down and then we decided oh, actually the things we're talking about we could probably share this because we wanted to sort of build the podcast that we sort of wished was there when we yeah. were starting out yeah where yeah. we just kind of it's a kind of like a no bullshit uh this is kind of the reality of stuff you're gonna have to do um this is only this but it's all based on our experience so this isn't the only way to do it this is how we did it yeah and this is our take on it and i think what you're saying there is is quite right like um there's so many people out there who want to prey on what you're trying to achieve and the reason they're successful is the fact that it's not just like a business, it's a passion and it's a dream. And people are more likely to not think as carefully as they might do if someone dangles their dream in front of them and says they can help them get there. And when you see those stories of people saying, oh, I paid someone £2,000 to publish my book, and you're like, no, why'd you do that? Like, I did like, that. That was my first book. Oh, no. Well, there you go. Like, um, um, thank ah. you for admitting it because obviously it's not, yeah, you probably don't wear that as like a, you know, something, yeah, yeah look no. at me, but it's an experience. Yeah. It's a learning curve, but these things happen because people see it. I didn't pay for it, but I, I kind of got done by a publisher who said that they'd be able to do this for me, and they set me back a few years and nearly made me quit trying to do it. So I think it's a frustration so many people share. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I ask you one more question, Michael. Um, and I mean, this, this whole interview has been littered with advice. Yeah. Um, what is the one piece of advice you would pass on to our listeners before we let you go? Yeah, treat treat your marketing like storytelling and treat it, your marketing, like a craft. You know, imagine if like you wrote, you know, your first couple chapters and you said, this is terrible, I'm going to give up. A lot of people do that. Yeah. And it's hard. And, and, and it, it's amazing that you completed. If you're here marketing a book, you've completed a book. That's unbelievable. Um and it's hard to push through that in the moments that you're like, we all have moments in the drafting process that objectively probably like don't make sense. Maybe the writing isn't that good. We get to clean draft at some point, but everyone's first draft, the first book, I, I haven't met anyone who like was like, that was my best work, right? So yeah. um, you got through that though. If you're listening, a lot of you've gotten through this, especially I know your audience, right? Um, and if you haven't, you still are capable of it. No one thinks about marketing like this. We get to the first chapter when we market and it doesn't go the way we want. It's messy. It's sloppy. And we just go, ah, oh, it didn't work. Let's start a new one. Ah, oh, it didn't work. Let's start a new one. Ah, oh, it didn't work. Let's start a new one, right? And you become, somehow, like, we pride ourselves as writers on finishing the story. But we don't actually finish the story of our marketing. And I think if we were to take a step back and realize that, like, hmm, this is a little hypocritical behavior, we'd be like, you know, how can you expect when you first do a new marketing strategy? But, and there's no right or wrong marketing strategy. But maybe it's, maybe it's you know, cross-promotion. Maybe it's Facebook ads. Maybe it's Amazon ads. Maybe it's TikTok. Maybe it's book size. I mean, there's literally, you could do anything to market yourself. There's so many different ways. But there's a benefit to being just like writing a great story. Like writing an okay story isn't going to, this sounds harsh, but like there's no objective great story. But writing a great story for your audience is infinitely better than writing an okay story, right? Like uh -huh. you want something that yeah. readers will love. Marketing that your readers will love and marketing that you love is equally important, but you can't expect to get there day one. So be patient with your marketing process and treat it like your craft, which means you probably don't want to write books you hate. So you probably don't want to market something that you completely like you don't you hate the process of it, right? And you want to be constantly searching 
for improvement. You might have editing. There might be beta feedback you have with other authors. When you do these campaigns, literally approach your marketing like you're writing a book, and I think it'll change your life. I love it. I love your mind, Michael. That That's incredible. And um, a really fascinating journey through your publishing career so far. We really appreciate your, your time. If if you, listener, love it, a post-apocalyptic survival thriller, Mad World by Michael Evans is definitely one worth checking out. Also, we've been plugging this for the past three or four weeks on the show now. Check out Ream Stories uh, online um, to get an understanding of how Amelia and Michael are really sort of changing the face of how us independent authors can, can, can wrestle back a bit more independence. Absolutely. And a, a really fascinating uh, discussion there, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. Thank you all for having me. To David, I think that may have been one of the most fascinating seven questions we've had yet. And I know I say this most weeks, but I think Michael's approach to how he's, started, how he's gone on his journey and how he's taken it forward was fantastic. Yeah, I think I've got a bit of a brain crush now. <laughs> Just a totally different way of thinking. Like the way his route mm. into thinking... Um, and analyzing is just so fascinating to me. Yeah, and, and as I said there earlier, I, I've been listening to him all week because he has um, mm. this boot camp for Ream where he has these 45, 40 minute videos. So I've been I've been getting onto them. But yeah, what, what a, a different way. It's him and Amelia now. We've had back to back on the show mm. and they have are, are proof that we all do this differently. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And, you know, having listened to them both back to about having listened to them talk about Reem and then hearing both about their journeys and how they go about stuff, I think you can safely say they, they kind of know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and they know this industry and they, they know, hey, I have good ideas on how to make it better. So, yeah, thank you. Um, massive thank you to both Michael and Amelia over the last couple of weeks for um, joining us once again. Uh, David, before I let you go, and obviously next week we'll be doing our two indie authors awards. Mm -hmm. uh, what does the next seven days hold for you? Well, that's part of it. I'm looking forward to sitting down with you, Rob, and we're, we're going to um, decide from our four nominees in each of the four categories who uh, each winner is, each victor. And that's then, it. of course, I mean, you're going to have the very tricky decision um, to, you know, debate or discuss. A very healthy debate, I'm sure, who is going to be the inaugural TIA Independent Author of the Year? So that's definitely part of my week and your week as well, I know. Um, uh, I will also get some writing done. I'm, I'm hell-bent on, on getting towards 10,000 words before Christmas so I can turn into the year with um, a decent chunk of my my next novella done. What about you, Rob? You'll obviously be doing the awards with me. Anything else planned? I, I will do. I will be finishing the first draft of my book. Um, getting that sent off to Emma. Um, and then, like I said, I think I'm just going to focus on getting all my ducks in a row before the, the new year comes in. So uh, hopefully from Monday, I'll have kind of like a nice, easier, less creative sort of week, so shall we say, um, where it's just more admin-heavy podcasts in, music in, just you know, work through all the stuff I need to, and then just get myself ready to go. But uh, yeah, David, uh, I will see you Next week. See you then, buddy.
Thank you.